Hello and welcome back to another episode of Drama School Dropout, the UK's third best drama podcast. As per usual, my name is Ingram Noble and I am your resident Drama School Dropout. This week it's episode 125 and I am joined by Scottish acting royalty. Please welcome to the podcast, Liam McRae. We're coming up on sort of, it's been a while since Gary. Is there any plans in the works for a reunion? I don't know how I did it because I genuinely straight up never took drugs. I think comedy must have come from that experience of feeling that you were being laughed at a lot and feeling like you didn't fit in. And I am Gary's biggest fan. The cops raided the place looking for stuff that I'd taken. I don't think they would find it either. All of this and more coming up on Drama School Dropout. Welcome to the podcast. How are we? I'm really good. Thank you for having me. Honestly, the pleasure's all mine, genuinely. I've been like such a fan of yours (laughs) for so many years, and this is like a bit of a pinch me moment. So lovely. Because I think especially growing up in Scotland, there's not a lot of, well, there's, there is a lot, but when you grow up in Scotland and you're not in the theatre world, that you don't see many people on the telly from Scotland. So, like, I remember I was staying at my dad's in Newcastle because I lived there for a period of time and he really got me into Gary Tank Commander and I was like, I love her. I was like, she's brilliant. So, very thankful. Oh no, thank you so much. It's a, it's a total joy to come on. Um, Look at me glancing down. I'm turning my phone into silent. I'm, not <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I'm really, yeah. really enjoying your time. Great chat. <laughs> on this Zoom, give me five minutes to get him to fuck. <laughs> yeah, help, help. And then I put it up as a message for you. <laughs> and I have to say, get none. <laughs> but how's life? Because obviously you're really busy at the moment. You've got your last few few tour dates. Like, how's life? Yeah, actually, I've got more tour dates. So, um, oh, I could only see I, a few on the website. Well, so we, yeah, so we did, um, I think, five five Scottish dates last year and then the Fringe and Soho Theatre. And Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks so much. I'm so proud of that. But then it's difficult when you're an actor because you're trying to, you don't always know when things are going to be booked in, you know. And so when you're doing live shows, normally what I like to do is I would have my promoter and we would organise a tour and we would book it all together. Mm-hmm. And that makes things easier for so many reasons, like performance-wise, geographically, and also marketing-wise, because you can market it as one tour with all the dates, so you don't need to get multiple designs done for each venue. Yeah. But what's happening with me is, because I'm not sure what my schedule is, I'm kind of getting one date and then another date and then another. So that's what's happening just now. And um, so we've got, on sale at the moment, we've got uh, Air, we've got Perth, beautiful Perth Theatre, and then Air Gaiety, and then Glasgow Comedy Festival, which is amazing. And we've now got, uh, so as we're recording this, it's not a nice bit of well-being, it's going on sale, is um, the buyer. Exclusive. What? It won't be, though, by the time this is out, they'll be like, that's old news, what's the else? <laughs> but do you know what? I know before everyone else, so... You know, you know, you're the first person. So I'm going to do the Bayerns and Andrews, which I did. It actually was the first uh, venue of my 2019 tour, and it was the most amazing show, and I wasn't sure St Andrews, because I was like, when I went up, I was like, oh, guys, 
you're very, are you going to be very posh? Am I going to be, you know, <laughs> this is going to work? And they were like, nah, this is great. So um, we're going to go there. And I've also just got another venue. Let me think. Yeah, that should be announced by the time the podcast goes out. And if it isn't, it doesn't really matter because it's it's going to happen. It's uh, a Dumfries venue. So love Dumfries, that. I love going back down to Dumfries. So I, I don't go there often, but I, I really try and go down when I can because... I've got family there and loads of friends and loved ones there. So, so yeah, so it's like, it's it's really, really hard work though because I'm producing the Scottish shows at the moment myself because we decided that, well, obviously post-lockdown, it was a really difficult time for promoters mm. anyway, so they couldn't have all of their acts, especially one night acts, you know, the manpower that goes in. So they had to focus on their, their large acts that tour and that helps generate income and then you can... You know, everyone can it can be divided across, like the work can be divided across everyone. But but actually, also, Mick and I were chatting. Mick Perry, and he's such a legend, and we were saying like I can actually do quite a lot of Scotland myself at the moment because you know they're not huge, huge commercial venues that I'm doing, and I've got a good relationship with the venues and things like that. So it's actually, but it's really hard work. I've got so much so much admiration for him and Vicky and the mm. team because the work they do is immense because when you're trying to do it yourself it's like it's a lot a lot of work and people don't realize you know they see oh the stupid little things that end up popping up yeah and just the workload just like because I'm like I'm doing like a the work of a whole office so I'm doing like from the initial chat to the venue then negotiating the sales so you're doing all the business side so you're negotiating a split with the theatre and you're trying to make sure that you're going to generate money to pay your team and you know pay, pay yourself like as well yeah. and, and then you've got obviously the marketing and then you've got to design you know flat, designing posters asking for design um you know adverts show copies something you know that when you open a brochure and you read about a show like that's got to be written and it's got to be written to the word, so it's like different word counts, and it's just so much to do. It's great to it's great. It's a great learning experience, but it's also it's it's a lot when you're an actor and you're like, wow, all of a sudden you're a business, you're a producer, like I am producing. But it's great because then you're like, well, you're learning how to produce, you know. So mm. it's it's invaluable. I've been going through the exact same thing, but on a much smaller level. Me and my mate wrote a play during lockdown, and it yeah. was literally. Just uh, keep busy projects like we're all fucking uh, like locked up. Let's give us a, yeah. a reason every week. We're going to get on Zoom every week, like bit of normality. And we never like being totally honest, we never, ever thought we were going to get to the point where it was on stage. And then as slowly as like lockdown started to ease, we were like, should we? Should we? Yeah. And then we ended up doing it. And honestly, it's a whole other story. We had the worst, but the best time producing. Yeah. Because we were producing during, we lost our leading lady 19 days before the show because she got COVID. And uh, yeah. it, it was fucked, basically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like learning how to produce a show when you're just an actor. <laughs> it's no like easy feat. And I take uh, my hat off to anybody who does it successfully. Yeah, it's really, I am really proud of it, to be honest, because when I look at these venues and I look at the, you know, them starting to generate sales and I look at what we've even done, you know, the venues that we did that we that were pretty, pretty full and you're like, that is genuinely one person with the support of a handful of like diamond friends supporting and helping and giving their time up to mm -hmm. support your your venture, you know, and 100%. like... It is when you look at when you look 
and at the time it's really hard like it really is hard but when you look back and or when you're when you're halfway through and it's going really well you're like well this is like and I'm very lucky I I do appreciate that I'm very lucky to be able to do it but there's also such an element of having worked for such a long time and you know when you look at like you know, smaller productions you started doing and how it's grown and the work involved in trying to you know step it up a gear and it's just, I suppose it's like anything though. It's like everybody works hard and nobody knows anyone's journey. But the difference with performers is that you see an end product mm-hmm. and you, and so there's a lot of assumption that comes with that. Like, you know, oh God, they're earning all this money or they've got all this success and their life is so great. And sometimes it's kind of Are like. Are you telling me that you're not a millionaire and set for life? Because you've been on the telly a couple of times. No, of course I'm fucking not. But it's like, yeah, it's... it's That's what I love seeing, like, oh, she done six episodes of River City. Like, she'll be (laughs) well-minted. No, no, that's not the truth. (laughs) You don't get a fortune doing regional drama, unfortunately. Uh, No, but people, like, assume... Because I remember the whole thing, and I always bring it back to... I can't... I should lend the actress's name because I've, like brought it up a few times there was an actress who was on eastenders and then she left eastenders for whatever reason and she got a job in b&m bargain like being security like at b&m bargains i remember this it was in the paper probably. and everyone was like well she's clearly wasted her telly money so bad isn't it and i'm like no she probably hasn't wasted anything but like yeah. so interesting how and also i just think it's insulting when especially it was press that reported that and i was like it's it's insulting to two people. It's insulting to the actor um, to suggest that, that somehow their talent's not warranted anymore. Mm. And it's also insulting to the people that work in retail. Like I've worked <laughs> in retail. I've worked every. You know, I've worked. Oh, in so many... remember that like costume. I don't know if you'll ever walked up Sucky Hall Street when I was out. Remember the costume for Sex Savers that was the ear trying to get you to get your hearing test? That was me. <laughs> Mate, Sucky Hall Street, Jumping Jacks, Bomber Jacket, Bright Blue. That was me. We should have hugged. <laughs> I've literally, I've done, like, I've worked in Amazon. I, do, do you know, do, do you remember, was it Lowdown or Club 32? It was, like, next to the Sav. But only people <gasps> over 32 were allowed in. Yeah, yeah, I remember I, that. I promoted for that. Wasn't allowed in because I was like 18. Too young. But like that was like the worst job because you're trying to get people into a club and then you're like, oh, by the way, how old are you? And they're like 24 yeah. and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, you can't come in. Terrible. The opposite of what was going on around the corner when it yeah. was like, you know. But they're like, I'm... go and stand outside the Sav and try and get people in. And I'm like, yeah. that is not going to work, mate. Yeah. I remember, I worked um, for... A nightclub PR for a long time and actually what's nice is now it's coming around because at the time I was like oh I am never going to utilize any of these fucking skills <laughs> like this £2.50 an hour or whatever I was doing and now actually I am which is so ironic like <laughs> honestly I'm ordering like print and I'm like and I know the sizes straight off and I can look at a post and I know what size that you know what the dimensions are and yeah. I'm like I know that from marketing from so long ago, you know, and like going into venues and going, mm, guys, can we move my, can we move my flyers a bit? Cause you know about like where they should sit, you know, and all that. Mm. So it's quite funny that you end up, that there is, there's maybe a, a small prize for having worn that bloody bright blue. Bomb. I really don't think there is. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think we're just oh, glutton for punishment. Yeah, I think we're just praying you like you think you wouldn't have been able to do your shows if you hadn't. Yeah. I think you could have took the day off. Yeah, um, <laughs> maybe every, every day. I was working every day there sometimes. Oh, I did the day shift at Bread and Butter on Argyle Street. Would finish the day shift, go home for a couple of hours, then go back into town and do the night shift till four o'clock yeah. in the morning. I think I lasted three weeks. I was like, this is you not know what? I don't know how I did it because I genuinely straight up never took drugs, right? And I worked for nightclubs. And I, I remember what I did, though, which is quite funny, but not to be encouraged by anyone. Um, I, uh, or not to encourage anyone to do it, I thought I was really smart because I didn't take drugs, right? So I decided to drink Red Bull and then I got these Pro, pro, pro Plus. Oh. I love right. a good Red Bull and Pro Plus cocktail. I, I was getting up, so we would work like till what, like 3, 3 a.m. And then sometimes we'd be up if there was day campaigns on, you'd be up at like 8 in the morning to be in for like uh-huh. 9 o'clock. And I remember one day like buzzing about, walking down the street and my mate was like, Leah, are you all right? And I'm like, yeah, it's okay, I'm going fine. And it turned out my legs were, I was like the, the like a marshmallow man. I was up <laughs> here, was like this, but my legs were like that, like bent, they were bent right down. Like I was totally walking <laughs> Because my mum was so fucked and I never oh, knew. The jobs we knew. do to make acting work. I know, and I'm like, God, I was being well behaved, thinking caffeine pills were all right. <laughs> Don't, kids, do not take caffeine oh, pills. Pro Plus or the devil? Oh, horrendous. Like, I think they probably are speed. Yeah, I Honestly. remember getting caffeine chicks off them and being like, I need to stop this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I do want to very quickly talk about the fact that you're already part of one of my favourite ever moments of Drama School Dropout. We spoke about it briefly before we started recording. But was it last year? No, I think it was... Was it last year? See, this is how, like, fucked the years are. I think it was 2021, because she was only, like, episode 30. Yeah, yeah that's and that's about right. Yeah. But I joined a, a Zoom call one day, <laughs> and it, I was so... I, I really hope she doesn't mind me telling this story. Um, I was so nervous <laughs> to speak to this person because one of my like icons one of my heroes and she joins it's susan nixon by the way and she joins with blue lipstick on and she's like oh my god i'm so sorry like this blue lipstick won't come off like i was on a zoom with my friend and i was showing her this new blue lipstick and i forgot that i had an interview right after and now it won't come off and i was like oh my god like she's a real person <laughs> and she's so just like real. all of us um but it was you on the zoom that she was showing this blue lipstick to and that is one of my favorite moments of all time for doing this podcast she's a legend like i love her so much like she's just like god i could talk about susan forever like i remember that day i remember her putting it on i remember in the moment of it getting to the second sweep going <laughs> mate, mate you've got a zoom you've got a- she's just having a little joke and then I think because she (laughs) it was because I was like I don't know what I was expecting because what you see with Susan is what you get she's so cool but because like I have this such grand idea of her because she's like one of my heroes I'm sat here going oh my god I can't ask her anything fucking stupid like you've got actually and then she just turns up she's like I'm sorry I've got blue lips you're sitting there prepped for your meeting going okay really think about this and you know be cool be cool and grand don't be a fan, a fan girl. Be cool, and then she comes on, and goes. And then, do you know what? That's the thing, though. 
It's the breaking of the ice. It's like we were talking about that the other day. Like if you've got an in the room casting or something, mm. and you feel you don't turn away, up with blue lips. Anyone listening, <laughs> or do because most people do that, you know. Um, but it's like you know, it's breaking that uh, that um, moment that it's not status, but when it feels like there's status in a room, yeah. it's sometimes it's just trying to break into that human interaction, you know, mm. and like because everybody's just a normal person. Mm. And it's like we we all do it, you know. If we go into a certain environment and you feel like you're the, yeah, you're the. I know it's wrong to say, but if you're the lower scale of the, you know, if you're you're sitting in the lower position, even those humans, we should never have that. There shouldn't be hierarchy like that. But, but it does think, happen, of course. Yeah, and yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, but- oh, oh yes, I'm like the oh. church. Oh, yes. <laughs> and there's the moments where you just. There's not a hierarchy enforced by the person that you're um dealing with, but then what you do is enforces the hierarchy. Those are the best bits. Yeah. I love those. When yeah. I fucking embarrassed myself in front of Johnny McKnight yeah. while I was auditioning for Panto, that was fun. Oh. He's, a, he's a babe, though. You'd oh, never but... embarrass yourself in front of him. Uh, no. <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> so I was at New College Lanarkshire, doing my BA. This was like, this is last May. This is you? Uh, no. I'm doing my BA. I'm just I'm trying to... I'm done. I'm trying to decide whether I like want to tell this story again. <laughs> I went into my audition for Wizard of Oz and we had to do a monologue and a song. And I was a lazy student and I was like, I'm just going to do a monologue that I've already got in my back pocket. Right. Anybody casting out there, I don't do that anymore. I learned my lesson. I think you should tell us what the monologue is so we know that you're not doing it again. It was. Well, I would still do it for something that it was applicable to. No, I won't, because it's a really good monologue, actually. Um, but it was not applicable to Wizard of Oz. It was about right. taking ketamine and having sex was in it the back of all courses. <laughs> no, it was um, <laughs> The Unreturning by Anna Jordan. And um, I went in and I did it. And I can't oh. sing. And I have a real, like, kind of little bit of a phobia about singing so i was like i'm gonna cheat and i'm just gonna rap um and i'll do culture king Karachikus by rolf harris um right, right. For, for quite, okay quite a fast song and i can maybe impress uh-huh. that i can say it and the first thing johnny mcknight said to me was number one why did you do a monologue that references taking ketamine and um shagging in the back of a voxel corset for a children's pantomime and second of all why did you choose a Rolf Harris song when he's a convicted sex offender? That's exactly what I was like for Panamite. <laughs> but I'd said this, right? And I'm not going to name the lecturer because um, they only had my best interests at heart. We were spending quite a lot of time trying to find a song that I could comfortably sing without breaking out into tears because that had happened. And yeah. I was like, oh, there's this song, but it's by Rolf Harris. And obviously X, Y, Z has happened. And they were like, forget about that. It's what you do. I've now learned that's not the case. Yeah. But I'm sat here talking to Johnny McKnight and I I literally, all I wanted to say was I have made the worst decisions possible for this audition. There's nothing that I can really change. I'm aware of that. Like what you're telling me is not new information. Can I leave? Great stories from that. You've given him such brilliant material, if nothing else. Well, Johnny McKnight gave me a role. I'll probably hear that story from Johnny one day and I'll be like, I know who that was. <laughs> no, he's a dream. And you know what as well? He's dead constructive, so he will have told, he will have told you, like, maybe not the best idea. 
he he by the way subsequently because we're talking about him he um wrote my very last episode of river city love that yeah he's beautiful he wrote he was one of the best writers for ellie chris grady Johnny McKnight and Kira Conway was brilliant for Ellie as well. And Johnny McKnight wrote my last episode, and it was a, uh, it was, it was lovely that he wrote it. You mm. know, because he's so good, he's so clever, he's such a beautiful writer. Well, Johnny McKnight, um, if you if you don't hold any grudges against me, I, I would like another opportunity to audition for you at some point, and I'll make <laughs> better sure choices. He, I'm sure he would be delighted <laughs> to have you back in the room. Um. While I was doing my research, or as I like to call it, legal stalking, I discovered that you did a HND in performance in at Langside College. Yes. And one of my favourite things about this podcast is crazy and funny things that happened in a drama classroom. Because there's stuff that goes on behind those doors that people would not believe. Like, I am still, like, a massive... It should either be a sitcom, Susan Nixon, you can have the idea, or it should be, like, do you remember, like, Educate in Yorkshire? Like, Educate in RADA. Educate in Yorkshire? What was that? Like, when they put, like, it's like a fly-on-the-wall documentary in a school. Yes, yes. Like, so- where is Educate in RADA? Oh, they couldn't, because we none of us would work. <laughs> Here's how I think it would go down. The first episode would be really shit because who wants to watch people in drama school? But then people would find it, make clips of it, put it on TikTok, and then it'd be the biggest TV show of the year. Yeah, I mean, the 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 kind of... the When you think about the collective feeling of a drama mm. class, even, and how it must have been... In Langside, we were mm. next to the sports department, HND Sports Science, so they were the coolest guys on the planet. So you can only imagine... Us fucking fluttering around mm. next to them, just a collective <laughs> gaggle of, you know, creative minds and like big, huge personalities and probably a lot of ego in there. And but you know, like I find that like when I went to train, I was very young. I was only sixteen, mm. and so I feel when I think back, I really feel like that was almost like my secondary school years, mm. because when you find like your people you you know in secondary school I never really I sat between two because they're always in boxes aren't they in school there's always these kind of groups of certain types mm-hmm. of, of kids or people which is so wrong but it is the way it was certainly when I was in school and you had the kind of really tough cool kids that didn't you know that would skive and come in late and be cheeky and always getting punnies getting a fuck punishment point and all that oh wow that's yeah. just like unlocked so many memories remember that punny exercise and all that and then do you remember the guy there was a guy in school and he thought he was so cool and i'm sure he wasn't the first person to ever do it but it, it was a punishment exercise so you know you write the line and you've got to write all all the lines and he did the one line and then he just did the little quotation marks all the way down like no the, i think that would have been if if i would have actually been a misbehaved child i really wasn't i had one detention and like i was like quite a well-behaved child but if i'd have ever got a punishment exercise i think that would have been me it's doing so the... clever it was funny but it, well, it didn't go down well. But um, I, and I kind of sat between because I was very well behaved, but I was also quite confident, you know. And well, I was, I wasn't confident in my younger years, but as I as I got older, I, I got a little bit more confidence. But and is that when you found out you were funny? Is that when you got confident? Do you know what I? I genuinely believe that the comedy. I think that when when I was in primary school, my dad we were we lived down south. And my dad was in the army and we lived a really beautiful, idyllic, genuinely sheltered, gorgeous life where 
we happened to be posted. It was one of the longest postings and we were in this a village called Long Stanton, just outside Cambridge. And we genuinely, our school had like a duck pond and an animal enclosure and an outdoor little swimming pool. And it was like the most idyllic village school. Then you get dragged back to Glasgow. <laughs> Victoria Primary and Govan Hill. <laughs> like, Govan Hill, that makes it even better. I mean, I was like fucking, it was like getting hit in the face with an absolute big, huge, scary, giant brick wall. Like, I didn't know what people were saying. I've told this story before that if one of the first sentences in the playground I heard genuinely was, I'll give you a bite of my Mars bar for a nut and doing your Coke. And and I, I, I was like that. I don't, I mean... I, I wasn't eating the Mars bar. We didn't even eat really sweets in it. We were so well behaved. Like, mm. and all these kids were eating all these sweets and ginger bottles. And like, I'd never seen all any of this stuff. And it, it was like a total culture shock. And so I was completely like, I was very anxious through primary school, very tentative and so concerned about what people thought because I was different. And they really picked on that, these, these mm. kids. And they, you know, some of the kids were nice, but some of the kids were really quite tough children. When I think now, when I think back now to why they behaved the way they did, it doesn't really bear thinking about it because you go, they were very angry all the time, mm. very young. When you think back now as an adult, you're like, God, they were so young. These kids were like maybe 10, 9. I'm like, what was, what were they, why were they so angry? What was yeah. going on in there at home or whatever? But at the time, you just know that you're like the absolute bunt of, you know, butt of all the jokes. And um, if you get something wrong, it was like, and it was like, it was just so difficult. And people laugh, and whenever people laughed, I used to think they were laughing at me. And so it became a thing as I grew older that if somebody laughed, I would think oh, they, they're laughing at me. And then I don't know if maybe subconsciously I realised that if I made the person laugh first, then I could control the laughter and I knew where it was coming from almost. But mm. I, I think comedy definitely came from when I was training and I started to understand performance. I love the wall break. I used to always pick pieces where they were very direct. So even like when I was doing pieces of theatre, it would always be like talking heads and things that I would be drawn to, like, and, you know, Victoria Wood stuff and... Uh, you know Alan Bennett and things like that and even like Neil Simon like farcical comedy yeah. with little aside you know I always really loved that almost variety feel even though I love I mean it's so bizarre because I love like Shakespeare like I was really good at I'm Shakespeare. a Shakespeare buff honestly and it's like people don't expect it eh you're like mm. no I love it but um, I think comedy must have come from that experience mm. of feeling that you were being laughed at a lot mm. and feeling like you didn't fit in and if you can make people laugh, quite often it's a real great tool to have in, a, in any room of people where you f might feel a bit intimidated, you know? Now, I mean, now it's totally different. Like, I could not I could not give to... No, me neither. People think I'm like, I've learned, but it's taken such a long time to... A hundred percent. Like, I'd probably say I'm still learning because there's still a part of me that goes, well, I don't really care, like, because none of them are paying my bills, but also I kind of care. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think you, I think what happens is you start to care when it's people you respect or people you value. Oh, massively. And then you start to go, well, that doesn't actually matter. You know, they can think what you want. But if, so, you know, like Johnny McKnight, I mean, we're, oh. we'll, we'll find redemption there because that's important. We don't want we him to think to. that. Okay? Yeah. We, we need to fix that. <laughs> yeah, we really do. But like... <laughs> No, he won't. No, he won't. He, no, he like, won't. He'll just be like, what was he thinking? I might go slightly up in expectation, but like, yeah. I'll always be the kid <laughs> that sang Ralph Harris. He's going to remember it, but I mean, he's going to love it. He's going to talk 
only I think and be like, what is he thinking? <laughs> I can imagine Johnny telling the story. He's a great storyteller, so I can imagine yeah. it went right. So here's the thing. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Just such a brilliant storyteller. Oh, but also I completely get what you're saying. Like not to keep bringing her up, but when I did the episode with Susan, I got really ballsy. And I was like, you can bring Susan up anytime. But I want it to be mostly about you. Yeah, um, she's a big, she's a great friend. She it's is. Okay. She can um, jump in anytime. <laughs> when when I was doing the play, and we just sort of finished our final version of what was going to go on stage the first time. It's all changed now. Susan's review doesn't apply anymore. But I got <laughs> I got ballsy and I said to her, I, "If you don't ask, you don't get." We read my play and just let me know what you think of it. And Susan was so lovely and she was like, "Yes, yes, yes." And I remember one day I got an email pop up on my phone and it was just Susan Nixon. This is where we get off. And I just went, "I don't know if I want to read this because I was like, if she doesn't like it, I'm not doing the play." Yeah, and she was so lovely. And then I got even more ballsy. And I was like, could you give us a quote for the poster? <laughs> and she was so lovely and did it. And like genuinely, yeah. like her being, her name being on that poster attached a lot of buzz to my show. That's and I'll lovely. never be like more grateful. No, but she's she's so supportive, like genuinely. And she's a great producer, Susan. She really understands like how things work and getting people seen for things in terms of like you know new talent like mm -hmm. people that might maybe wouldn't have known about your play and things and she's just very very given and um oh god she's gonna have to pay me so much money after this um she's very <laughs> she's, she's and she doesn't there. it's not a it's not a fake thing to show face she doesn't just say oh, yeah i'll do it because i remember i woke up one day this was months after because the show, we, I want to say we recorded in like the March or something, and the show wasn't going on until the following April. And I remember one day, like six months later, I just woke up and Susan had tweeted me saying, Hey, when's your play? I still need to sort out like all my travel arrangements and stuff. Yes. Like it's not just, Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll come. No, you she doesn't I mean? do that. And she was coming because I know because she said to me, um, you need to do this guy's podcast. I was like, I know, I've had quite a few podcast emails in and I said, I'm going to get to them. It's so busy. And she went, oh, you need to though. He's really nice. He's a really good guy. She went, I'm going to go and see his play. So that's, that's why going I, on the tombstone. That's when I was like, Ingram, I'm so sorry for not getting back to you. <laughs> it's just like, you're you're so rammed sometimes, you oh. know, but she was coming because I was going to go with her to see the play because she's mm. obviously, I live in Glasgow. Yeah. And she said, are you going to be about? And there was a genuine reason because I remember... I think either we were both doing the same thing or she had something, but I remember it being a genuine... I want to think it was Rosie Malloy. I feel as if we were... What, what When was your play on? Last April. Oh, that was then. We were shooting Rosie. You, she, I remember because I was what... in the van on the way to the theatre and I got an email and Susan was like, I'm really, really sorry I'm stuck in Kingston. And I was like... Okay. Yeah. And it was unannounced as well. We hadn't announced that it was the shooting. Thi the thing with me is I, I started this podcast in like the tail end of the pandemic and like my first 40 guests were like, I'm not doing anything. I'm staring at the same four walls. So now anytime somebody's like, oh, I'm working or I can't do this because of this. I'm like, on you fucking go. Yeah. Like yeah. I actually love getting rejection emails for this podcast because if somebody's too busy because they're working, that means we're just in the right direction That's of getting so back funny. to normal. That's so lovely. No, that because that. I did the whole, what are you do? What's coming up next for you? And they were like, I'm in lockdown. I don't know how I'm paying my bills next. It was, it was awful. Like, that was a... Mm. I don't know if people quite understand what the arts went through, and I know, listen... And what we're still going through. Well, because this, yeah. there's a massive... And I don't know... Like, I've noticed this quite recently. There seems to be 
a lot more young people not interested in joining the industry because like I was casting a part in a play and I went to loads of different colleges, didn't get one person apply. I I was speaking to another one of my friends that's doing an indie play, Alba. I'll give him a shout out, Jack Ben. And um, he was like, we not had much people interested from like my class and stuff. And then I applied. I don't even know if I can say this and I hope I can and I'll think about it. I applied for the Traverse Theatre's summer casting call. And like I got an email back the other day saying it had now closed. Thank you for re- like applying. We are proud to announce we've had 64 entries. And I was like, the Traverse? 64? Oh, wow. Like why? I don't understand why every indie casting director in Scotland and the Traverse aren't going, we need to hire more people because we've got tens of thousands of emails to go through. Mm. So the arts are still like, even though we're in air quotes out of a pandemic, the arts are still massively suffering. The Tron Theatre in Glasgow has just had its funding slashed by the council. Like, yeah, yeah. and that's why we've been doing a lot of press for this is where we get off because we're back in February in Webster's. And the one thing that I keep wanting to like make sure is like abundantly clear is that independent theatre companies and independent artists with shows like theatre is an expensive hobby like and if we want this to survive if we want to keep having great venues like tramway like the sits like webster's like we need people to buy tickets because yeah it's 1400 quid a night to book a theatre right now it's very difficult because, so for example, you know, I was doing, so in 2019, I did my, I was doing my tour and I was playing in theatres like the Theatre Royal, which is like a 1500-seater theatre, you know, and... And uh, probably selling it out. Didn't sell it out, but, you know, where there was a thousand, at least a thousand people in there. So you go, that's, that's a lot for me that I was over the moon with that. I think we just didn't have the balcony, so the ven- the venue would know better. But I'm pretty sure it's about a thousand in, so it was like the, mm. the circle, the two circles, and the and um, you know, Eden Court, which is a huge venue as well, things like that. And then now coming to do venues that are maybe three, four hundred seaters, sometimes two fifty, and it's like, and it's more difficult because what happens is that in the pandemic, the arts were one of the first industries to be hit. And then when you have a cost of living crisis, again, the arts, because people, exactly that, people, it's a luxury to go to, especially for working class people, you know, it's a luxury Mm -hmm. to go to the theatre. It's a luxury even for me to go to the theatre at times. I'm not saying I'm not working class, but I mean, I'm in the industry and it's like, I should be encouraging, but it's it's like sometimes I'm like, God, I can't, I can't afford to go and see all of them. I'll maybe go and see three or whatever. And it's like, it's so difficult at times, and um, I don't. I think that there were there were things that were much much worse. Like you know, there were people dying. There was the NHS was swamped. It was absolutely horrendous times. But I do feel a bit like it's difficult because I see a lot of people going to a lot of people going to huge uh, shows like huge artists arenas and um, stadiums and huge big venues and like I'm going I know that they've saved up I know that they're huge fans of these people and but at the same time it's so difficult because you're like the arts does need the support of you know people to go to Mm. venues especially local venues so I'm doing Air Gaiety which I'm so proud of because Air Gaiety is one of the venues where it's Mm. like it's such an important it's iconic you know, like Johnny Beatty and Una McLean and Jack Mulroy and Ricky Fulton. These are mm. that's where these people played. Like 
that people love still watching on TV today, you know, like the greats, like some of the Scottish greats have played that venue and it's like so... And that's the thing that the people that people don't necessarily understand. Like, so for Talking Sick, still game, chewing the fat, started out as stage shows. Like yeah. everything, yeah. I can guarantee, like one of my, one of my favourite Scottish actors right now he's a lucky bastard in when I spoke to him last year for the first time he'd never done theatre before and now he's like running the theatre game but he's going to be one of the biggest Scottish actors out there like Sean Connor uh, he's a babe he's a good friend of mine you, he's boy. I, I saw that you went to Ode to Joy that was mad oh man it was amazing that was an experience it was amazing but good it was an that. experience but what he's I, what, such a talented boy he is so good talented but what, like, the point that I'm trying to make is, like, all of these people, like Ford and Greg, they started off in the theatre, and because theatre was maybe, I don't know, a bigger thing, like, in the near distant future, past, yeah. sorry, don't want to make them feel too old, um, <laughs> like, they got to enjoy success, but there's so many talented, like, theatre actors right now out there that are going to be, like, the next face of Scotland's comedy or Scotland's drama. And I think that people really do need to like get out and because as somebody who's going through it right now as a small theatre company, we're on our last lifeline. Yeah, it's so it's I don't think people realise because it's also things like um, you know, it's it's trying to point out to people like, you know, for example, we were doing pantomime and then pantomime got pulled, right? Because of it was government mm. reasons and stuff. And a lot of people were so disappointed, rightly so, because they'd bought tickets, right? And I'm like I know, but you 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 are going to get a refund. Like I'm not going to get paid. Yeah, they realize that because I don't know where my mortgage is now coming from. Yeah, it's like, and it's not really spoken about. It's like nobody really says. By the way, you know, we're none of us. The cast will not be paid, or the crew will not be paid for the remainder of this. I don't think people really understood that that's what was happening, and when coronavirus related thing happened. You don't get paid, like you don't get paid when you're sick, when you're self-employed. You don't, you know, it's all these things that people don't realise. And so you're like not generating any income. It's like it's a really difficult, difficult um place. No, because again, any actor that's been on telly is a multimillionaire. Of course. That's what the you've thing, got to remember. You know what I think's wonderful, like sometimes, not wonderful. I just I find it really eye-opening that people say, um, so a, a great example for me is Sarah Lancashire, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and everyone's talking about Happy Valley that I need to start. Sarah Lancashire. And I've genuinely read this, right? People going, who would have thought it? A soap star? Who would have thought it? And I'm like, what does that mean? Like, what do you think? Especially the character that she played in Coronation Street, right? She was such a a beautiful, quirky, very specific character and you go the work involved in that portrayal must have been immense and so people don't realize that and that's fine right because you go that's your job but then to be so gobsmacked that this actress is actually playing a completely different role and so successfully and she's so loved in it you know and you're like it's almost like she's I an don't actress think people understand. yeah and it's like when you sing or you do it like so when i'm doing rosie malloy i have a different accent and people are like what and i'm like guys like we actually train, like, we do a lot of work to to learn how to do this, you know, and if you've trained as an actor, you have trained for three years minimum, and you're like, what do you think we do in the three years? There's a lot, that's a lot of time, it's a lot of stuff. Prance about on stage, prance about on stage, wear funny costumes, yeah. like, 
it is. It's mad. But also, you've just got to remember that every actor that's on TV is a multimillionaire. Yeah, we we are, especially regional TV. Leah's currently sat on a golden throne. I am next to my golden Buddha. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're going to play a game now. This is one of my favourite things in the world, and um, I love them. It's called Stage Right or Stage Shite. It's three stories. Two of them are the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and have been submitted by our listeners. And then one of them is a big fat lie made up by our producer, Hev, and we've got to find out which one's the lie. I've got the okay. answer in a sealed envelope. And I read these last night, and they're a bit mad. Number one. Our pastoral tutor in drama school wouldn't call us by our actual names. He would call us based on what he thought our typecast was. So for a whole year, I was stupid blonde girl, and my best friend was prostitute junkie. Oh my God. Absolutely true, couldn't it? 100%. <laughs> Number two, one of my classmates left nude Polaroid photos at my station in our dressing room every night during our final year show, which was a week-long run. I mean, yeah, I probably wouldn't mind that if they were fit. <laughs> I'd start sticking them on the mirror. Um, number three, in secondary school, someone hacked my drama teacher's professional email account because we wanted to read our UCAS references. My secondary school drama teacher described me as a boy who feels the constant need to be picked and would potentially harm someone for attention. I reported her to the head teacher and she was suspended and we got into a whole legal dispute with the universities I'd applied to to have the reference struck from the record. Is that about me? I Am I the boy I Am I the boy that constantly <laughs> needs to feel to be picked? And they cause pain to anyone who doesn't come on his podcast. Guys, I was basically <laughs> threatened. But I need to tell yeah. you now. I was yeah. to receive death I, um, I, I spoke about <laughs> lockbacks earlier. I was the one carrying the lockback. Um, Ingram is literally actually in the next room. He's yeah. coming to my home. And I can't Track, get rid of him. Tracked her down this. and said, you're doing my podcast. Um, I don't know. <laughs> like, part of me thinks that realistically it's got to be number three. Yeah, that's what I think. Oh, uh, yeah, I think because, and that's quite terrifying that we can see that these things could be true from <laughs> from the older days of tr yeah. training. I'm going to go for number three because, like, that's a lot of effort to, as much as I'd love to read my references for you, Cass, like, that's a lot of effort to go through. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's three. So we're both gone for number three. Some of them. Dead shite, number three. Number two, so it was the Polaroids. Oh no, but do you know what? That someone has done that. Like 100%. Like, that, it's it's true to life, but fake in this game. But also, just to let anyone know, if I'm yeah. ever in a show with you and you want to leave nude Polaroids, like, feel free. Like, I'll yeah, fully accept them. Yeah, you'll be, you'll be happy to, to witness. Oh, a question that I love to ask everybody that comes on the podcast is, if you were a casting director came to you tomorrow and said, I want to do a two-hander with you in the West End, but I don't know who I want to put you with on stage, you can pick anyone in the world, but they have to be alive. Who are you picking? Oh, my God. Would this be a dramatic two-hander or a comedy two Well, what I'm going to say, what I normally say is that it'll be written around the two of you. But because, like, we love her so much, it's going to be written by Susan. Because we'll give Susan a job oh, while I we're at it. Not that she's struggling or anything. I'll tell you right now, it's going to be a showstopper, and it's going to be a it's going to be a drama with real comedy beats through it and real poignancy, and it's going to be amazing. And therefore, who would I love? Oh my god, that's so difficult. I've got to carry on my campaign that's been going on for like hundreds of weeks now, and it's starting to borderline stalkerish uh catherine tate like i would love to do one with catherine tate and um okay. if if you're busy catherine doesn't matter just come on the podcast i'm trying to think i would love 
to I love working with Sheridan but I'm working with her just now while I'm working with her on Rosie so that might be a bit selfish <laughs> to work with her again Sheridan's so good Sheridan is like top, just disgustingly top. talented like she makes me ill and such a lovely girl and so down to earth and as a leading lady because I, she's a leading lady you know when I work with her and it's like she's just like the best lead that you could have in a cast she's just like she's just so giving and, and you know approachable and like well I, I approach her anyway because I'm pals with her but I just mean <laughs> generally like she she doesn't bite no she doesn't she's so beautiful and she's so kind and and very clever like so I've never I've who, thought of who you'd be great with Maxine oh, Peake oh, Oh yes, Maxine Peak. Or I tell you, I tell you right now. I mean, Julie Walters for me is like yeah. Julie Walters and Bette Midler. Like, oh, my God, oh, there's so many. It's so hard to. Yeah. It's so hard yeah. to think. It Maxine Peak would be amazing. Oh my God, there's so many. I think you can't have think, Catherine Tate. I'm the next person to do a two hand. Well, you, you you've going to stop Catherine and and <laughs> see how that. that <laughs> If you get on, let 100%. me know. <laughs> She'll make me look like shit and I'm at peace with it. Very, very, very quickly, I want, because I know we're running out of time, I want to talk to you very briefly about what I knew you from and how I got introduced to you, which is Gary Tank Commander, <gasps> which oh, is such yeah. a cultural, iconic Scottish thing that it that is that done the impossible i think it was one of the very few scottish things that actually transcended the border and was successful in england because not a lot of things do that um but what what was like your favorite gary tank commander moment that you were involved in what i would say on that just to pick you up on that point yes. is that actually i don't think it was given a fair chance south of the border or, or nationally and on the network. in the north it done all right it wasn't given a chance, it was given a TX and it wasn't given a good time slot. And mm. I just think that if, if it had had a little push in the right, you know, in the right marketing, I think it would have been, it would have mm. been so well received on the network. Because, but yeah, oh my God. So actually going back to the question you asked about a two-hander, like I would absolutely love, and I really think it will happen one day to do a, a piece of drama with Greg McHugh, who's my good pal, who is one of the best actors like that I know. He he actually defies a bit of logic because he to me is just as good a writer as he is performer. And I always find that there's normally a little edge if you're a writer performer. You're normally got a little bit stronger at one side. Mm. And he is like he's so good. You know, he's so good. So I would love that. Tank Commander. Julie, Julie, up until Monica, Julie was the standout head and shoulders above any other character that I've ever played, my favourite character. Monica's got similar similarities to uh, Julie and her like height, where she sits just as a human being. Mm -hmm. Like her rhythms and but Monica's a bit more layered and she's got a bit more going on. You know, when you scratch a surface there's loads going on with Monica, whereas mm -hmm. Julie is absolutely what you see is what you get. Surface like, level. She is just that is who she is. She's just the best. And like that was an absolute dream job mm -hmm. and we would all love to actually a lot of a lot of us have chatted in the cast and we've said that we would love to do it again being a bit older and a bit more experienced and you know it would just be great to to delve into those characters again and have mm -hmm. some fun because oh man what what was such fun mm -hmm. it was such a joy like that's one of the biggest honors still to my career is to have a part written because julie was written for me that's always nice 
that that is just that's it. Mm. You know, you go to have a character written for you that is your favorite, one of your favorite characters that you've you've ever played. Like you can, you know, you'll carry that for. I'll carry that always, you know. Mm. And I do tell Greg, I'm I'm very serious about this, really serious about it. I am Gary's biggest fan, and that's where Julie came from because I saw Greg doing stand up, and I was like. Oh. <laughs> my dad the whole cheesy pasta monologue before Andy had really heard it you know and, and it was so good wasn't it and I'm like and I still tell him I'm like mm. I am I am Gary's biggest fan like nobody's a bigger fan than me he's <laughs> like right mm. rightly okay <laughs> One of, something that I love to ask people that have been on long running or massively successful shows did you steal anything from the set as a memento? I always have. I always take one thing from every character I play. A tiny, tiny thing. So sometimes it might be a hair bow, or it might be, you know, I can't even think of. You don't have to tell us who you stole it from, but what's the biggest thing you've stolen? I stole uh, no, but in television you <laughs> a forty-two inch flat, a forty-two inch flat yeah. screen. Sky, I've taken a tally. No, um. I um you get given you get given quite often when you finish a job anyway because your clothes are bought for you for your yeah. size, so sometimes you get to pick anyway. So I've got a couple of I don't know if I still I think I still have them. It's a couple of Julie's dresses. I've got a little riding glove for driving glove somewhere that she used to wear, and um I also have the she had a keyring thing at the from the hydro show a love heart encrusted yeah. love heart thing that she wore on her on her trousers I've got that somewhere but my problem Ingram is that I if someone was to ask me where these items are <laughs> I genuinely so disorganised I don't so even do know do you not have the Leah McCray Museum upstairs the cops raided the place looking for stuff that I'd taken I don't think they would find it either because it's so disorganised <laughs> like, so no I should have this box like where where I have like all these lovely items stored from the characters I play. That was always the intent, but it's never come to fruition. So I'll, I'll hopefully I'll get around to that. But I do, I love to keep a wee thing from each character I play. Yeah. Or death will. Because a, a part of you, a part of you goes into every character you play somehow, you know, like. Be I steal something every time. Yeah. Like you... I constantly say Amanda Beveridge, if you're still looking for the gold coins from Vanity Fair, I've got them. Oh. oh, they were cheap, like plastic gold coins, but I yeah, took not the, the bag of them. Um, but I have to ask, because you kind of alluded to it, we're coming up on sort of, it's been a while since Gary. Is there any plans in the works for a reunion? I uh, genuinely wouldn't know. I've not heard anything about that. And I would love, I would love to do it. Um, I I would love I would love it to happen. I don't know how. I don't know if the channel. It's to do with the channel as well. You know, it's whether the channel want the show. And, oh, just make it and stick it on YouTube. God, could you imagine? I would love to do. I would love to do Tank live, like, and mm. do a, a Scottish tour of Tank. And um, but that's a lot of work for Greg, yeah. and you know, he's got to do it. But I'm always like, come on, like, come on, mm. do it live. Like, it'd be great. Like, could you imagine? Like yeah. doing these, oh, us all doing live, like it's just immense. So mm. I think that he's he's not like the characters still there, you know, and he's still they're he's, not dead. He's doing the comedy festival. Gary's at the comedy festival, Ken. So um, he see see when we got to do pantomime together, it was so lovely because I miss I miss him. I miss Gary. <laughs> Next time he's like, yeah, all right, Leah. You know, I'm like, I'm here. Yeah, and I'm calm like, down. Oh, but I know, but 
I need to see the boys sometimes. Like I really love them. I love it when Greg because because they're like night and day. These people mm. when he when he literally does that moment when he turns it. Even even I like I work with him and I'm in the show and when he literally goes like that, I'm like. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Um, We have a closing tradition on the podcast where I ask the previous guests to leave a a question for the current guest and they don't know who they're asking and you won't know who you're asking. But the question that's been left for you is if you were on death row, what would your last meal be? Start a main course and dessert. Jesus. Uh, I'm not really starting a main course and dessert girl. So what I would probably do with that is combine the three things into like a meal of probably would want uh I'd probably would like a chicken teacup meal, you know, when you get the the yeah. chicken teacup and then you get the side sauce. And then I would I would use my I would have a as my starter, I would include it into my meal and put some chips on the side. And then dessert, I would definitely have like a bottle of champagne. Oh well you can have a drink as well. So like you can a bottle have like, of champagne a as well as what would I have for dessert? I'm not really a dessert girl. What would your um, dessert be? Well, my starter would be my mum makes the best chicken pakora sauce. So I'd have chicken pakora with the chicken pakora right? sauce. Mm-hmm. Would you send me some of that a thousand death row? Because I would be having yeah. an Indian meal. Right, yeah, just send me. My main, yeah. I, it's boring, but it's traditional. I have to go for a Sunday roast. Oh, by the which way. Which really doesn't go with the pakora. That would be my second shout, though. That's that And is. then... My dessert would be a stack of profiteroles. Yeah, I'll have that. I only have them twice a year because they're my favourite dessert and I don't want to get sick of them, so I have them on my birthday and at Christmas. You know what? My mum has not made them and you've just... I'm literally going to text her and say, I've just done a podcast and you're talking about profiteroles. When's the last time you made them? <laughs> get them made. I and like then... them. You know when the cho- you know with profiteroles, right, you're supposed to let like, the pastry cool down then you put the warm chocolate on and then it cools down, so it's like... Mm. I'm like going to be honest. On and it's hot and melted. Profiteroles are the only time that I venture into Tory land and I only buy them from Marx's. That's all right. Mm. But my drink, I I don't drink now, but if I'm on death row, I'm going to start drinking again. I'm going to have a sex on the beach. Oh, really? Mm. Really? That was my cocktail of choice before I went sober. Wow. Grenadine, Mm. orange juice and vodka, eh? Mm. I love grenadine. Um... Obviously, you're on tour right now, and ticket link is available. It's down in the show notes below. But what else is coming up for you? Are you allowed to talk about anything that you're doing? I'm hoping. I'm. I'm hoping we'll be doing another series of Rosie Malloy. I don't. I haven't heard. I hope so. That, but I would. I would. I would imagine we are, and I would hope that very much that we are. Um, and I've read for a couple of really exciting projects, and I've done a. Little a, a small role in a really cool project that will be out this year at some point. Um, but I think they're still filming, which so that shows you the scale because I was on mm. it way back. You know, I can't even remember what month last year. But so that's uh, exciting. And that's the the Hunger Games musical, isn't it? That's. Do you know I've, I've had to look? Like, in addition, you have to do Rolf Harris to get. Yeah, I am. I'm gonna. Um, where can everyone follow you on social media to keep up with what you're doing? That's a good question. My handles are, I think my handles are the Leah McRae on Facebook and Insta. And I think just Leah underscore McRae on Twitter land. So mm-hmm. that's where you can keep in touch. And oh, my website as well, which is just leahmcrae.com. So lots of nice shows, shows going out over. Yeah, come see me. It's really good fun. And the show's really empowering. It's all about self-belief. It's that we talk about we 
I just say we because it makes me feel less nervous. Yeah. I, myself, on stage talk about, um, so it's really funny topics, but also a, a really important theme of uh, mental health running through there as well, which is really important um, just now. And um, it's great fun. There's songs in there as well. And it's not just for girls, which is important to say because sometimes the guys are like, I'm not going to that, that's just for birds. You're like, it's not. There's no. a very special song in it for the boys. It's really fun. I'm going to have it's to come along fun. now. Great... I'm going to have to come and check it out. Um, you can come and let me know when you want to come. But anyway, I will let you get back to normal life. Thank you so yeah. much for coming on and doing this. It's been such a pleasure. Your joy. Thanks for having me. Amazing. Lots of love. Always. And there we have it, another episode of Drama School Dropout, episode 125 completed. Thank you so much to Leah for coming on the podcast. And make sure to go down into the show notes and follow us both on social media. You'll find all of the information in the usual place. If you're feeling extra generous, please leave us a rating and a review on the podcast. It helps us out so much you don't even know. And don't forget, if you have a story for Stage Right or Stage Shite, please go down into the show notes again and click the link to the Google form and submit your story. Make sure that you don't forget that you can now become an official drama school dropout by signing up to our patreon using the link in the show notes below and you'll get access to loads of exclusive benefits and you'll really help the podcast out thank you so much for listening genuinely it's the absolute pride of my life that people continue to come back and listen to me talk absolute shite with some of my favorite people on earth especially now as we're at episode 125 i can't believe it's gone on this long but you know me i'm forever thankful forever grateful that you're here so as per usual i'll be back again next week with a brand spanking new episode but until then you can catch up on our back catalog of 125 episodes but have a great week stay safe i love you bye drama school dropout no graduation day for you drama school dropout Fuck your whole course, now try something new